Heavenly Father, um, thank you for the Sabbath. Um, thank you for gathering us here today. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for uh, revealing your word to us um, that we can see and understand and um, walk in your ways. It's such an amazing blessing, Lord, to, uh, to be able to see the truth. Um, it, it's, it's such an amazing blessing, Lord. I pray that you would um, reveal your word to us evermore. Um, open up to us that we can walk in your ways, walk in, in like character, um, that we can be shining lights in the world, and um, that people would see you in us. Um, Lord, I pray that you would bless everybody listening online, bless everybody here, and uh, Lord, I pray that you bless this teacher to our ears, bless your holy name. Right, is that coming out yet? Isn't it yet? Splendid. Right. Okie dokie. Right then, two Torah portions, a double one today. So let's begin. Okay, today we will be coming to the end of the book of Exodus. And the tabernacle will be finished. And everything will be done. The key to its success is that everything will be done exactly as Yehovah instructs Moses. And Yehovah will come and he will tabernacle with man on the earth. His presence will come to the temple. We read in Exodus 40, this is at the end. He erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and he set up the screen of the gate of the court so Moses finished the work. And then we read, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, the glory of Yehovah filled the tabernacle. Moshe was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of Yehovah filled the tabernacle. Okay, now this tabernacle is the same tent of meeting that we read about when it comes time for Solomon to build the temple. We read in 2 Chronicles 1, and Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon for the tent of meeting of God, which Moshe the servant of Jehovah had made in the wilderness was there. But David had brought up the ark of God from Kiriath Jerarim to the place that David had prepared for it, for he had pitched the tent for it in Jerusalem. Moreover, the bronze altar that Bezalel the son of Uri, son of Hur, had made was there before the tabernacle of Jehovah, and Solomon and the assembly sorted out. So these, this is the tent that we're on about today in today's Parsha, and the bronze altar that, as we'll see later, Bezalel has made. Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before Jehovah, which was at the tent of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. Right, quite a lot, eh? So Solomon then goes on to build the temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which in the scriptures is known as that place where I will cause my name to dwell. So <clears throat> we read in the Torah in Exodus 40 that the tabernacle was completed. We read, so Moshe finished the work. And we read that and I think oftentimes we are underwhelmed. Like, oh, okay, so he just finished it. Okay. 
I think we fail sometimes to some extent to recognize how remarkable it is that they built a place following Yehovah's instructions exactly. A place that Yehovah saw as holy enough to come down and dwell there. I think as I've been looking through all this and um, I realize what an incredible achievement it was. We read in Exodus 40, we've just seen the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of Yehovah filled the tabernacle. This was an extremely amazing moment and what they achieved was incredible. Now if we look to Solomon indeed to his father David, we get a sense of how daunting and how glorious a task it is to build a place on this earth for Yehovah to dwell. We see how huge of a deal it was, which of course should be interesting to us as Yehovah's living stones, a place for Yehovah to dwell. So, so we know <clears throat> we can like, relate this to ourselves. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, talking to us as his people, are being built up like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Yeshua HaMashiach. And I can ask the question, are we also somewhat underwhelmed when we read that we are being built up as a spiritual house? What about when we read that it is the branch which refers to Yeshua, the chief cornerstone that builds the temple? That we're a part of this. Zechariah 6, Thus speaketh Yehovah Zavayot, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of Yehovah. And they that are far off, which is a reference to the house of Israel, shall come and build in the temple of Yehovah. And you will know that Yehovah Zavayot has sent me to you, and this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of Yehovah your God. So, those that are far off come in to build the temple of Yehovah. We are called to take part in building the temple of Yehovah. Again, I think there's a sense sometimes of not understanding how big a deal this is. How did David feel about building the temple of Yehovah? We read in 1 Chronicles 28. David, David assembled at Jerusalem all the officials of Israel, the officials of the tribes, the officers of the divisions that served the king, commanders of thousands and of hundreds, the stewards of all the property, livestock of the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the seasoned warriors, all the bigwigs. Then King David rose to his feet and he said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of Yehovah and for the footstool of our God, and I made preparations for the building. But God said to me, You may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and you've shed blood. So I think it's interesting to note, it doesn't matter what we want. Obviously, David had this desire it doesn't matter even if it sounds incredibly honorable. Oh, but I'm going to do this thing and it'll be great and God will love it. No, it's not what we want. It has to be done in accordance to Jehovah's will. So many people get an idea that they think is brilliant, an idea that surely Jehovah can't refuse to bless. But of course, we read in Psalm 127, um, one of Solomon's, his son, unless Jehovah builds the house... Solomon, who actually did build the temple, those who build it labor in vain. 
It goes on and says, unless Jehovah watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. 1 Chronicles 28 continued, and David um, continues to say, Yet Jehovah, God of Israel, chose me from all my father's house to be king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah as leader, and in the house of Judah, my father's house. And among my father's sons, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all Israel. And all of my sons, for Jehovah has given me many sons, he has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of Jehovah over Israel. And he said to me, it is Solomon, your son, who may build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he continues strong, in the Hebrew, chazak, in keeping my commandments and my rules as he is today. So if, and again, it's a big if, he continues to be chazak. And we know this word, Psalm 27, wait on Yehovah, be of good courage, hazak, good strength, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on Yehovah. And we see that the Septuagint translate this as act like a man. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, we are told, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. So that is... Hope in Yehovah, be stout-hearted and decided in your convictions. And this verse 14 goes on and explains, and he shall strengthen. The verb is a mets, is in the hippo form, meaning that once you are sure of your convictions, then Yehovah produces the courage in you. So he's telling Solomon, be sure of your convictions. Be sure to walk in the ways of Yehovah. How do we get, go about being Hazak? We read it in Deuteronomy 11.8 shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you might be strong, that you might be Hazak. And Hazak is related to Yatsav, a word we looked at in Beshelak. Be watchful, stand firm. And this is um, Stako related to the word Histami, which in the Hebrew is Yatsav. In the faith, act like men. We've just read that. Be strong. So Yatsav speaks of putting on the armor of God, which speaks of walking according to the word. We see in Ephesians 6, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And what is the armor of God? The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, they are all things that relate to the word. So he's saying to Solomon, be sure in your convictions and related to this, we already know this thing of stand firm, stand firm in the word. He continues, now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of Yehovah and the hearing of our God, observe and seek out all the commandments of Yehovah your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart. The word in the Hebrew there is shalem. Complete, perfect even, but also, you can see, peaceable. And in Jeremiah 29, we read, You shall seek me and you'll find me when you search me with your whole heart. Throughout this, I notice, time and time again, Yehovah is not interested in almost people. He's not interested in a mostly people. He's interested in people who are completely dedicated to him. So, with a whole heart and with a willing mind, and the Hebrew there is nefesh, often translated as soul, life, 
what we see sometimes, mind, living being. For Yehovah searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. So serve him with a whole heart. The word there is shalem, as we've seen. And with a willing soul. And the word there is hafetz. We see the desire, favor to have pleasure, willing. We get this word from this other word, very similar. But please note there, when we have a look at this word, it's interesting that it literally, literally means to bend down. So this willingness of the soul, of the mind, is related to this idea of bending down, which of course is related to this idea of humility. This willingness to serve the Lord God, directly related to humility. Yehovah searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. That's quite a thing to take on board, isn't it? Be careful now, for Yehovah has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong again, hazak, and do it. So, take it on board. Yehovah knows your thoughts and plans. He searches your heart throughout all this as well. I'm looking through it and I was studying it, and it's so apparent to me that what the Lord's really interested in is your heart. Ask yourself, do you serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind, where this willingness and this eagerness, this desire is related to humility, to bowing down? So the message is, be careful now, us as living stones who are called to be part of building the temple. Be sure to be hazak. We need to be sure to be resolved in whatever situation we find ourselves in, to be people who walk according to the word doesn't matter what comes our way. We are resolved to do that. And when we are, Yehovah strengthens us. Then David gave Solomon his son the plan of the vestibule of the temple, of its houses, its treasuries, its upper rooms, and its inner chambers, and of the room for the mercy seat. And the plan of all that he had in mind for the courts of the house of Yehovah, all the surrounding chambers, the treasuries of the house of God, and the treasuries for dedicated gifts. For the divisions of the priests and of the Levites and of all the work of the service in the house of Jehovah, for all the vessels for the service in the house of Jehovah. So imagine David with all this in place. He's got all these plans, he's got it all worked out. And yet he was not going to be the one who was going to be called to build the temple. And in this, I just think to myself, wow. Maybe sometimes there's things in our life and we're not the one who gets to do this and we're not the one who gets to do that. But really, all that should matter is what Yehovah wants. All that should matter is that we have a willingness to serve him. This willingness that speaks of being bowed down before him. Then David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed for Yehovah God, even my God is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of Jehovah is finished. And being strong and courageous is equated again with not being deterred from walking in all of Jehovah's ways. We see that in Joshua 1.7. Be strong and courageous, being careful to do according to all 
the law that Moshe, my servant, commanded you. Don't go to the right and don't go to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. If we, as his people, take that on board, that we won't go to the left and we won't go to the right, that we will be careful to do all that Moshe commands, that we will be chazak, we will be completely resolute in our convictions that that is the way that we're going to go. Then we can know that Yehovah is with us, that he will never forsake us, and we will have good success wherever we go. It's, it's so simple. <laughs> I see people stressing about all kinds of things and people trying so hard for the all these things that are going on and oh I must do this and I can see something so beautiful in all of this if it is our desire to serve him with a willing soul submitted to him just completely resolved to walk in his ways then we can know that he is with us always and the key again to do things exactly as Jehovah commanded Moshe 1 Chronicles 29, David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The work is great for the palace, will not be for man, but for Jehovah God. So David understands the magnitude of the task and he wants to help in whatever way possible. So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able, the gold of the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver and the bronze for the things of bronze the iron for the things of iron and wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I've provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. So as of his own personal treasures. 3,000 talents of gold of the gold of Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to Jehovah? So this is what he says. And then the leaders of the father's houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And then we read, And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of Jehovah in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced. Why? Because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart, this, this thing again, this shalem, this whole heart, they had offered freely to Jehovah. David the king also rejoiced greatly. So they gave with a whole heart, a complete heart, a whole heart, heart made ready. And obviously this word is related to the word for peace. We see Solomon told to do the same, to serve Jehovah with a whole heart and with a willing mind. So, giving to Yehovah with a whole heart, we can see, is to have a shalem heart, is to have a heart which is at peace. And of course, 
We give with a willing, with a whole heart, and we give with a willing mind. Where this willingness is related to humility, and what does it bring? It brings rejoicing. And it reminds me of this verse in Colossians three: "Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, the body of the Messiah, of course." It's brought together as the temple of Jehovah, and be thankful. So here again, we have these connections. We have the temple, we have peace of heart, and we have thankfulness. And we see this word rejoicing. And the Hebrew word for rejoice is samak. It's related to the word simcha, joy. So we can see by looking to the Hebrew that to rejoice is to express joy and gratitude for all that Jehovah has done for us. So David and the leaders of Israel expressed gratitude and joy because they could contribute to the building of Jehovah's house. And we, as living stones, should also be full of joy and thankfulness because we're called together as his people to build a spiritual house for Jehovah. But of course... If we want to contribute, then we must be hazak, completely resolved to walk in Yehovah's ways, no matter what comes along in our circumstances. We must be yatsav, which speaks of putting on the armor of God, standing firm, no matter, again, what comes along in your life. We must be strong and we must be courageous, not turning to the right, not turning to the left. And we must remember that Yehovah searches all hearts and he understands every plan and thought. So I would say to everyone, just be resolved in your heart to walk in all of his ways, no matter what comes along in your life. We must come with a whole heart, offering freely to Yehovah, in complete submission to him. Humility. Therefore David blessed Jehovah in the presence of all the assembly. David said, Blessed are you, O Jehovah, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Jehovah, is the greatness and the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom of Jehovah, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. So, he's accepting this amazing truth. Yehovah is sovereign over all things, which is a great truth to grasp hold of. And when you do, and you're completely resolved to walk in his ways, then you truly do have peace in your heart. The Lord says, doesn't he? I form light, I create darkness, I make well-being, I create calamity. I am Yehovah who does all things. Lamentations. Who has spoken it and it comes to pass unless Yehovah has commanded it? He's in charge of absolutely everything. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that uh, come good and bad? And this is the one whom we serve. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. 
Oh, Yehovah, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. <laughs> I think that's an amazing little bit of, of a bit of a scripture there. He's saying you're in charge of everything, Yehovah. And even when we give to you, we're only giving you what is yours anyway. So we recognize as a truth that we see Yehovah speak of by the prophet Isaiah. He says, all these things my hand has made. So all these things came to be, declares Jehovah. But this is the one to whom I will look. He was humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Again, we look to those who are willing, those who come before him, humble. And of course, those who tremble at his word, those who will walk exactly as Moshe, as Jehovah instructed Moshe. And then Isaiah goes on and says, This says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite, the remorseful. Again, those who are humble. He looks to those who will humble themselves before him, and he would dwell with these people people who have decided to serve him with a whole heart and with a willing soul. He says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen you people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. Again, it's, he's saying, Lord, you can see exactly where all my actions are coming from. I've given, but you know I've done it with joy. In my heart. O Yehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. In other words, Lord, might it always be so that your people are so desirous to come before you and to offer before you. So you ask yourself, are such purposes in your heart? These people were just excited about building the temple of Jehovah, which is exactly what we've been called to do as living stones. Grant to Solomon, my son, again, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Of course, in this discourse on building the house of Jehovah, we see a connection between freely and joyously giving to Jehovah, peace of heart, and uprightness, obedience, and also rejoicing. And I think it's um, all—it's all linked to coming before Him, completely surrendered to Him. It's all linked to recognizing who He is. He's sovereign over all things. Anything you can give to him anyway is his already. It's all to do with coming before him and willingly offering yourself completely and wholly and not holding anything back. And he sees in your heart and I think he's delighted when he sees people who recognize who he is and are humble before him. And David said to the assembly, Bless Jehovah your God and all the assembly. Bless Jehovah the God of their fathers. They bowed their heads and paid homage to Jehovah and to the king. 
And they offered sacrifices to Jehovah, and on the next day offered burnt offerings to Jehovah, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand lambs with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. Okay. So we have the Ola, we have the Minka. Total surrender and acknowledgement that all provision comes from Jehovah. Which again just speaks of humility. Then Solomon sat on the throne of Jehovah, his king, in place of David, his father, and he, op- and he prospered, and all Israel obeyed him. And all the leaders and the mighty men and also the, all the sons of David pledged their allegiance to King Solomon. And Jehovah made Solomon very great in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as he had not been on any king before him in Israel. And as we read earlier, Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon, for the tent of meeting of God, which Moshe the servant of Jehovah had made in the wilderness was there. This is remarkable in itself, isn't it? That they were able to go and visit this very tent. And in that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask, uh, what shall I give you? Solomon asks, Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people, for who can govern this people of yours, which is so great. Because Solomon's request pleased Jehovah, He said, wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches and possessions and honor, such as none of the kings who were before you or none after you shall have the like. Again, Jehovah, sovereign over all things. So Solomon came from the high place at Gibeon from before the tent of meeting to Jerusalem, and he reigned over Israel. So he's come from this thing, and he's gone to this place. And as I've gone through this week, Um, And last week, studying this, I see more and more and more how incredibly precious this place is to Jehovah. So King Solomon built the temple with all the fine cedars of Lebanon. We read in 1 Kings 5, Solomon sent word to Haram, the king of Tyre. He said, so I intend to build a house for the name of Jehovah my God. Now therefore command the cedars of Lebanon be cut for me. King Solomon drafted forced labor out of all Israel, and the draft numbered 30,000 men. So this was a huge undertaking. And we see some of Solomon's message to Haram in Second Chronicles. He says, the house that I am to build will be great. Why? For our God is greater than all gods. But who is able to build him a house, since heaven, even highest heaven, cannot contain him? Who am I to build a house for him? except as a place to make offerings before him. And 1 Kings 5 continues, Solomon also had 70,000 burden bearers, 80,000 stone cutters in the hill country, besides Solomon's 3,300 chief officers who were over the work. So Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders and the men of Gibal did the cutting, prepared the timber and the stone to build the house. In 2 Chronicles 3, we read, Then Solomon began to build the house of Jehovah in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Again, these are significant terms. Where Jehovah had appeared to David, his father, at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. We read of that in 1 Chronicles 21, 18. Then the angel of Jehovah commanded God to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar unto Jehovah in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And in 1 Chronicles 22.1, Then David said, Here shall be the house of Jehovah God, and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. So this is where the temple was to be built. 
And we read that the glory fills, uh, the glory of Yehovah fills the temple just as it does in Exodus 40 in our Parsha. Thus all the work that Solomon did for the house of Yehovah was finished. And Solomon brought in all the things that David his father had dedicated. He stored the silver, the gold, and all the vessels in the treasuries of the house of God. And Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel in Jerusalem, to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of Yehovah out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled before the king at the feast that is in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the Ark. And they brought up the Ark, the tent of meeting, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. The Levitical priests brought them up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of Yehovah to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place underneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark so that the cherubim made a covering above the ark and its poles. The poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside, and they are to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moshe put there, Ahorab, where Yehovah made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And when the priests came out of the holy place, for all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions, and all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Hermon, and Jedithan, their sons and kinsmen, arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. That would make a lot of noise, wouldn't it? I've been in a room with one trumpeter. Very noisy people. <laughs> and it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to Yehovah. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to Yehovah, they said, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of Yehovah was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of Yehovah filled the house of God. Just like in our Parsha, when Moshe couldn't stand because the glory of Yehovah filled the Mishkan. And in 2 Chronicles 6, we read, Then Solomon said, Yehovah has said that he would dwell in thick darkness, but I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. And the king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel stood. And the king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel while all the... Oh, they stood the same verse, sorry. And he said, Blessed be Yehovah, the God of Israel, who with his hand has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to David, my father, saying, Since the day that I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house, that my name might be there. And I chose no man as prince over my people Israel. But I have chosen Jerusalem, that my name may be there. And I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. Jerusalem the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, Mount Moriah. This place is so special to Jehovah. Now Jehovah has fulfilled his promise that he made, for I have risen in the place of David, my father. I sit on the throne of Israel as Jehovah promised, and I have built the house for the name of Jehovah, the God of Israel. And there I have set the ark in which is the covenant of Jehovah that he made with the people of Israel. 
And Solomon stood before the altar of Jehovah in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. He said, O Jehovah, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand. You have fulfilled it this day. But will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven in the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Now, O oh my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place. And now arise, O oh Yehovah God, and go to your resting place. You and the ark of your might, let your priests, O oh Yehovah God, be clothed with salvation. And let your saints rejoice in your goodness. O oh Yehovah God, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Remember your steadfast love for David, your servant. And then 2 Chronicles 7. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of Yehovah filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of Yehovah because the glory of Yehovah filled Yehovah's house. Just as it done way back in the tabernacle in Exodus 40 in Parsha. And we can only imagine how incredible it must have been. And of course, look forward to what is yet to come. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of Yehovah on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to Yehovah, saying, He is good, his steadfast love endures forever. That phrase is said time and time and time and time again when the people worship Yehovah. And the king and all the people offered sacrifice before Yehovah, and the priests stood at their post, the Levites also, with the instruments for the music to Yehovah that King David had made for giving thanks to Yehovah. So Solomon finished the house of Yehovah and the king's house, all that Solomon had planned to do in the house of Yehovah, and in his own house he successfully accomplished. And Yehovah appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Now when we read it and we see what happened with King Solomon's temple, we can see how huge of a deal it is. We read it in the wilderness, they put together the tabernacle and they finished it and the glory came. It kind of sweeps over our head a bit, doesn't it? But Solomon's temple, <clears throat> chapter 7, ends with Yehovah giving them a warning. Now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with your father, David your father, saying, you shall not lack a man to rule Israel. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you and this house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And at this house which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, Why has Yehovah done this to this land and to this house? And they will say, Because they abandoned Yehovah, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, 
and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this disaster on them. Now, in Ezekiel chapters 8 to 10, we read of the abominations in the temple. We read of the destruction of Jerusalem and of the glory of Jehovah departing. The problem all the way through with the people is that they want to go after other gods. But Jehovah will not dwell in a temple defiled by idols, which should be of interest to us. In 1 Corinthians 3 we read, If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. God's temple is holy and you are that temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? Now, Ezekiel 8. To the door of the inner gate that looks towards the north, there was a seat of the image of jealousy which provoked to jealousy. So there was an idol, probably an Asherah, something there that took the place of Jehovah, standing there in the inner court of the temple right before the altar. And he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. So I went in and saw, and beyond, behold, every form of creeping things and abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. And skipping ahead, and there stood before them 70 men of the ancients, the elders of the house of Israel, and in the midst of them stood Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Okay, this is the son of the man who discovered the Torah. Then he said to me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery, for they say, Yehovah sees us not. Yehovah has forsaken the earth. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of Yehovah's house, which is toward the north. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. That's where we get Lent from. And he brought me to the inner court of Yehovah's house. And behold, at the door of the temple of Yehovah, between the porch and the altar, 25 men with their backs towards the temple of Yehovah, their faces towards the east, and they worshipped the sun towards the east. And in verse 18, Yehovah declares judgment. He says, therefore will I also deal in fury. My eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, yet I will not hear them. And the declaration of judgment in verse 18 was fulfilled four years after the vision was given in the destruction of Jerusalem. And we read about the judgment in chapter 9. Yehovah said to them, go through the midst of the city, through the midst, oh, through the midst of Jerusalem and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said in mine hearing, go you after them throughout the city and smite, let your eye not spare, neither have you pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. So here we have people sealed on their foreheads who were spared from the wrath of Yehovah. Just like in Revelation 7 with the 144,000, those who follow the Lamb wherever he goes, those in whose mouth was found no lie. Okay. <clears throat> sealed, 144,000. And the word for Mark in Ezekiel 9.4 is Tav. Tav and Vav spelling out the letter Tav. As you can see, the place a Tav upon their foreheads. And the letter itself means Mark and also means the sign of the covenant. So those sealed are sealed with the sign of the covenant. Who does Jehovah keep covenant with? 
O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with, who, with those who love him and keep his commandments, those who are true to him, those who are not interested in going off, worshiping other gods, fanciful ideas, this, that, and the other. Revelation 14, we see a description. Then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women for they are virgins. And in scripture, women can represent churches and false religions. They haven't gone after all this rubbish. It is these who follow the lamb wherever he goes. They walk just as he walked. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for, the, for God and for the lamb. And in their mouth, no lie was found for they are blameless. The word there is amamos, which in the Hebrew is tamim, which also has this connotation of being complete and full. Yehovah had given solemn warning. If you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments and go and serve other gods and worship them, I will pluck you up from the land that I have given you and this house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Isn't it incredible that you can go from this? These people who are so desirous to build this place for Yehovah, that they joyously give and that their hearts are full of peace. They're completely dedicated to this. And then you've got this huge big ceremony. Solomon getting thousands and thousands of people to build this place for this incredible temple to Yehovah. The presence comes down and it is so incredible that they can't even stand. And then you read about all this rubbish that they've gone after. All this nonsense that those calling themselves their people. They're still knocking around the temple. They still want the association of Yehovah. They still want all the good stuff and the protection and all the blessings. But again, what is the problem is their hearts. And they've sought after other things. Their desire is not for Yehovah. I just think it's so incredibly sad. And we see the devastation that comes. Indeed, we read in Ezekiel chapter 10, This house I will cast out of my sight. And the glory of Yehovah went out from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim. The glory went out. Cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes as they went out. With the wheels beside them and they stood at the entrance of the east gate of the house of Yehovah and the glory of Yehovah of Israel was over them. So the glory of Yehovah departs the temple. And the disobedient people are cast out the land. You read in 2 Chronicles 36, Yehovah, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messages because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. So he comes to them and he warns them and he tells them, stop doing this. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of Yehovah rose against his people until there was no remedy. Till there was no remedy and the people were without excuse. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed the young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and build, burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. And then they had escaped from the sword, carried he Nebuchadnezzar away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. 
to fulfill the word of Jehovah by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept the Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. So the length of this exile was set out in Jeremiah. So, when does the glory of Jehovah return? In Ezekiel 43, we read this. Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing east, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east. And the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And the vision I saw was just like the vision that I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and just like the vision that I had seen by the Kebar Canal, and I fell on my face as the glory of Jehovah entered the temple by the gate facing east. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of Jehovah filled the temple. While a man was standing beside me, I had one speaking to me out of the temple. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. And the house of Israel shall no more defile my holy name. Neither they nor their kings by their whoring and by the dead bodies of their kings at their high places. By setting their threshold by my threshold and the doorposts beside my doorposts, with only a wall between me and them, they have defiled my holy name by their abominations that they have committed. So I have consumed them in my anger. Now let them put away their whoring and the dead bodies of their kings far from me, and I will dwell in their midst forever. So... Here we have the glory of Jehovah filling the temple in the millennium. Ezekiel 44. And he brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the temple and I looked. And again, behold, the glory of Jehovah filled the temple of Jehovah and I fell on my face. So we read about it in Exodus 40 and they couldn't stand. We read about it when Solomon built the temple. And we read about in Ezekiel the millennial temple and the glory of Jehovah filling it. The book of Ezekiel ends with a description of the city with the 12 gates. It says, The circumference of the city shall be 18,000 cubits in the name of the city. From that time on shall be Jehovah is there. Jehovah will dwell amongst his people. And earlier in Ezekiel, we read regarding this, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone, and will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land and on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all, and they shall be no longer two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms. Shall not defile themselves any more with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions. And I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am Jehovah who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. So like I said, we can only imagine what it was like when it happened in the wilderness. We can only imagine what it was like when it happened in Solomon's temple. But we can look forward to what is described here. And do you remember the purpose of the tabernacle, which is later to be the temple? Let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. This is obviously Jehovah's desire to dwell amongst his people. 
We see in the book of Ezekiel that there is a temple to come and that the glory of Yehovah will fill this temple, this sanctuary, which is incredible. JP went through this, didn't he, a few weeks ago and describing it in terms of like, this is something that we should be really excited about. There will be a place where we can worship and we can bring offerings to Yehovah. We remember what we read in 2 Chronicles with Solomon, who is able to build him a house since heaven, even the highest heaven cannot contain him. Who am I to build a house for him except as a place to make offerings before him? The chance to do this is incredible, isn't it? We also read in Revelation of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And we read, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. Again, this message is the same. He will dwell with man. He will make his sanctuary amongst his people. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Yehovah will dwell amongst his people. And if you look through scripture, you will see that this is his desire all along to be with a people who are completely devoted to him, who know who he is. So the glory of Yehovah fills the Mishkan. There's a good graphic for us. <laughs> forgive, forgive how poxy that looks. So in our Parsha, we're here. This is Exodus 40. And we just read about the fact that the glory of Yehovah fills Solomon's temple. Boom, there you go again. The reason the glory departed was due to Israel's disobedience and they're going after other gods. And Yehovah glory fills the temple in the millennium. Okay, and we look forward to this. This is incredible. Yehovah dwelling amongst his people. So where did it all begin? In the Garden of Eden, we see that God walked with man in the garden, didn't we? But then we saw that there came the fall, and then we saw that there was exile banished from the garden. And then in Genesis 4 to 11, we saw Cain and Abel. We saw the great flood. We saw the Tower of Babylon. We see that mankind was refusing to seek restoration with Jehovah. So where does it all begin? For us as his people, he calls Abraham. And by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. We read of it in Genesis 12. And the Lord said to Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I'll make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curse thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Abraham took his nephew Lot with him. This is kind of like, where it all begins for us as his people. Um, and this desire that the Lord has for his people to come and dwell with him, you can take it all the way back to this. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. And we'll see what Bethel is as we go on. And he pitched his tents having Bethel on the west and high on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. To call on the name of the Lord to pray to him and appeal to his character. 
And he does this in this place called Bethel, right at the beginning of his walk. Then he journeyed and still going on towards the south. And there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. So we got Abraham in Egypt. Sarah will be taken. There'll be plagues and they'll leave with great wealth. And as we've seen before, it all sounds very familiar. It's all pointing us to what is yet to come. So Abraham and Lot, they eventually separate. He was told to go out without any of his family anyway, so this is actually a good thing. A lot, or Lot goes to live in Sodom. Meanwhile, Sarah has promised a child, and of course, they're very old. And Yilvah said to Avram, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Because obviously, she was just thinking, Wow, this can't be, can it? And the Lord continues, it says, Is anything too hard for Yehovah? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. So we move on to Sodom, and there came two angels to Sodom at evening, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face to the ground. There's this nephew that's come out, and of course, we know what happened. And again, this points to something yet to come. Turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So much of what we read points us to what is yet to come and points us to Yeshua. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Yeshua. The day is near, even the day of Yehovah is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. Even right back in the beginnings of Genesis, we see things that point to the end of time. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel both with wrath, or the end of the age rather, and anger to lay the land desolate. He shall destroy the sinners there out of it. And again, who's his wrath against? The sinners. The great day of Yehovah is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of Yehovah is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. And he says, I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have what? Sinned against Yehovah. Their blood should be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. So we move to Genesis 21. Abraham called the name of his son that was born to him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. So, does a lot of laughing, doesn't she, Said, <laughs> And it reminds me of this verse. Our Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And then we read in Genesis 22, after these things, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham responded, Hineni, here I am. Here I am as opposed to, I'm here. And when the Torah uses this word, Hineni, the person speaking is saying, I hear your call. And the sentiment expressed is, I am absolutely focused on you. I'm ready. I'm here. There's no place I'd rather be. Hineni means, yeah, I'm fully present. Yeah. And he said, take your son, your only son. It's not your only son in the Hebrew. It's Yaqid, your special son whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah. 
We've already heard of Mariah, haven't we? An offering there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, the mountains of Mariah, which I shall tell you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And whenever we think of this part of Scripture, we can't help but think of Yeshua. And it came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Okay, so in this place, so what we note that the Scripture had said, upon one of the mountains that I will show you, that in Moriah, we read it before, Solomon began to build the house of Yehovah where in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, this place that is so special to Yehovah. The mountains of Moriah are the place where Yeshua would be crucified. All this takes place. The story that actually points us to Yeshua and to his sacrifice also points us to Yehovah dwelling amongst his people. The place where he says, I will make my name to be there. And of course, that is because it is the branch who builds the temple of Yehovah, as we read earlier. Note that his son is a young, strong man, yet he was obedient even to the point of laying down his life. It's not a defenseless little child. Abraham's about 130 years old. Isaac is in his prime. The Hebrew is Na'ah, young man, bachelor, as opposed to Yelad, which is a child. Everything here points us to Yeshua, Yehovah's Yaqid, who willingly offered himself. Isaac carrying the wood to which he is bound up to the place of sacrifice, Mount Moriah, Golgotha, allowing himself to be bound. We read in John 10, And I have other sheep, Yeshua speaking, that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock and one shepherd, which should remind us of what we read just before. I will take the people of Israel from the nations amongst which they have gone, and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. One king shall be over them, one flock, one shepherd. It's Yeshua, again, who builds the temple of Yehovah. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Exact picture of what we see with Abraham and Isaac. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. And Abraham reached out his hand and he took a knife to slaughter his son. Incredible faith. Incredible humility. Yehovah has asked me to do this. I have faith in him. I will do it. He has a whole heart and a willing soul. The angel of Yehovah called to him from heaven and he said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Hineni, here I am, I hear your call. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your yachid from me, your special son. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold him, Echav was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Okay, a kev in the Hebrew, on the heels of, speaks of what is to come. Which is interesting when we consider, Yeshua said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. This is Abraham stood in the exact place where Yeshua will be offered. And of course, he looks up and he sees a ram caught, uh, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. So Abraham called the name of that place, Yehovah will provide, as it is said to this day, on the Mount of Yehovah, it shall be provided. 
And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham out of heaven the second time. And he said, by myself, I have sworn, says the Lord, for because thou hast done these things, has not withheld thy son, Yaquid. And in blessing, I will bless thee. In multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice, because you have shimmered my voice. Everything in Scripture leads back to the question of obedience. In obedience and faith, we please Jehovah. In obedience, the blessings are found. Yeshua was obedient even to death that he might bring salvation. And our obedience brings people to the Messiah that they might be saved. In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. If we are Yeshua's, then we are Abraham's seed, the holy nation. A light to the world that is lost in darkness. And in us all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's why we read, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Next, we have Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau, the warring twins. And in it, we read that Jacob was a plain man. It actually says he was a tam man. Now, they don't get on. We see that Esau sold his birthright. Afterward, he would have inherited the blessing, but he was rejected. He found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Then we have the deception. Here we see, he says, are you really my son Esau? Yaakov answers, I am. The deception is found out. Esau wants to kill Yaakov. Thus, Isaac sent Yaakov away, and he went to Badanaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Yaakov and Esau's mother. So, He's sent away. He's exiled, as it were. Yaakov, because of deceit, is sent to Haran, to where the family Abraham left behind reside. These are the people that represent compromise. These are the people that knew of Jehovah but couldn't shake the pull of false religion, the grip of Babylonian pagan worship, and that which has become familiar and comfortable to them. We read in Genesis 11, Terah took Abraham his son and Lot the son of Iran, his grandson and Sarai, his daughter-in-law and his son Abraham's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. So that's where they were supposed to be going. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Instead, they were like, yeah, we're not going to go that far. We'll just settle here. And we can see there's a connection between Ur and Haran, and that is the moon god scene. They settled where it was familiar to them, where they were comfortable, not like Abraham. So Yaakov is headed here where Isaac, who was a picture of Yeshua, was told not to be found by Abraham, his father. And then we read, And he touched at a certain place, and in the Hebrew it's Hamakom. And lodged there, for the sun had gone in, and he taketh the stones of the place, Hamakom, and maketh them his pillows, and lieth down in that place, Hamakom. Later we see that the place is called Bethel, the place we mentioned before, which means house of God. And he dreams, and lo, a ladder set up in the earth, and its head is touching the heavens, and lo, messengers of God are going up and down by it. And in Genesis 28, 10 to 22, in that bit of scripture, we see the different ways Yaakov characterizes the place, Hamakom. He called it, Yehovah is present in this place. This place is awesome. This place is the dwelling place of the Holy One and the gate to the heavens. Furthermore, he named it Bethel, which means house of Elohim. 
The ancient sages identified Bethel or Bethel, not with the later Bethel in the time of the judges and the kings, but with Arunah of the Jebusite's threshing floor, which Jacob's descendant King David purchased for the purpose of building a temple. And I must point out that I cannot vouch for what the ancient sages say. But if you read Judges 1 to 21 to 26, you will see that the city of Bethel mentioned here is not Jerusalem. That said, one of the ways the Torah tries to communicate important messages is through the use of particular words or phrases. All the mentioning of that place, the place Hamakom, seems to be significant. Where else do we see this phrase used in Scripture, in the Torah? Well, we've just seen it in this whole incidence with Abraham and Yitzhak. It all took place in the place Hamakom. The book of Deuteronomy uses the phrase, the place where Jehovah, your Elohim, will choose to cause his name to dwell numerous times. The phrase, the place, is translated from the Hebrew word, Hamakom. Although Jerusalem is never mentioned by name in the Torah, we know that Hamakom prophetically refers to it. And if this is true, Jacob's first encounter with the God of Abraham and Isaac was on the site of Abraham and Yitzhak's greatest test. The offering of Yitzhak on the mountains of Moriah. The place of Yeshua's suffering. Yaakov Israel's walk begins at the place of sacrifice. The place where the temple would be built. The house of God. It's almost like it's so obvious that this place is so special to Yehovah. But you actually have to look in the scriptures to see how many times everything seems to bring you back to this place. So he dreamed and lo, a ladder was set up in the earth and its head is touching the heavens and lo, messengers of God are going up and coming down on it. All this in this special place, Hamakom. And lo, Yehovah is standing upon it and he says, I am Yehovah, God of Abraham, thy father, God of Yitzhak, the land on which thou art lying, to thee I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed hath been as the dust of the land and thou hast broken forth westward and eastward and northward and southward and all families of the ground have been blessed in thee and in thy seed. Then he says, And lo, I am with thee, and have kept thee wherever thou goest, and have caused thee to turn back unto this ground, for I leave thee not till that I have surely done that which I have spoken to thee. So, this promise is made to Yaakov, but it's also made to his descendants, to those who become part of the holy nation of Israel. This promise is made to us, thanks to Yeshua, who has made a way for us to come to Yehovah. If you're Christ, as we know, then you are Abraham's offspring, his seed, as according to the promise. So in Genesis 28:15, it was, Lo, I am with thee, and I've kept thee wherever thou goest, and have caused thee to turn back to this ground. This ground, Jerusalem. Bethel, the house of God. Mount Moriah, the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Hamakom. And it's already a done deal. And the Lord says, I will bring you back to this place. I just think it is remarkable that if you are part of his holy nation, then the Lord God promises to you that he will bring you back to this holy place where he will cause his name to dwell, where he will dwell amongst his people forevermore. And then things that we read about in Scripture and is the glory of the Lord fill the place and we think, wow, that's incredible. It must have been amazing to be there. We have yet to look forward to what is to come. Oh, the clickers broke, JP. 
There you go. Isaiah 41. But you, Israel, my servant, Yaakov, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth, called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you with, the right, with my righteous right hand. Or as we read in Ezekiel, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations amongst which they have gone, and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be over them. I will make a covenant of peace with them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. That's what we have to look forward to. Hamakom. This place is significant in the lives of the patriarchs, pointing to a strong connection between Abraham's seed, Jehovah's holy nation, and the house of God. The place which speaks of drawing near to Jehovah, the place that speaks of Jehovah dwelling amongst his people. And it should speak to us of how important that is to Jehovah, that he comes and dwells amongst his people. Hamakom, this special place where Yeshua would come and lay down his life. Special space that speaks of Jehovah's desire to tabernacle with man. A branch will build the temple of Jehovah. The special place that speaks of Jehovah's promise to his people. That one day we will return and he will yet again dwell in our midst. And we read in Exodus in the Torah, the tabernacle was completed. So Moshe finished the work. And we read that and I think oftentimes we're underwhelmed. And it, I think, escapes us that it actually points to something yet to come in the future. Are we also somewhat underwhelmed when we read that we are built up into a spiritual house? It excited David and Solomon to build the house of Jehovah. We are called to take part in building the temple of Jehovah. Does it excite us? This is the house built by Yeshua and we're called to be a part of it. With regards to Solomon's temple, we read the people rejoiced because they had given willingly with a whole heart, which speaks of being at peace, they had offered freely to Jehovah. David the king also rejoiced greatly. What did he call his son to do? Serve with a whole heart and with a willing mind. Giving to Jehovah, holding nothing back, is to have a heart that is at peace. Okay, with a willing mind, as we've seen, speaks of being bowed down. Your desire to Jehovah is to serve him speaks of humility and if you are one of these people you can enjoy rejoicing celebrating let the peace of christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful pulling all these things together the temple peace in your heart thankfulness and i've said so many times there's such a connection between having peace and being grateful. David and the leaders of Israel expressed gratitude and joy because they could contribute to the building of Jehovah's house. We as living stones should also be full of joy and thankfulness. We must remember that Jehovah searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. So we must come with our whole heart, offering freely to Jehovah. If we want to contribute then we must be Hazak, completely, completely and utterly undeterred from walking in his ways. We must be Yisav, put on the armor of Yehovah, 
be strong and courageous, not going to the left or the right, and doing exactly as Jehovah instructed Moshe. Which obviously speaks of humility. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. So we finish with the question, are such purposes in your heart? And we'll come back at these times. So. Okay, we'll come back at 25 to 4.